This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. Welcome back to The Forging Table. The mission of Undaunted Life is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. At The Forging Table, you'll see a group of regular guys forging spiritual resilience by digging into God's Word, and we're welcoming all of you to come along on that journey with us. All veterans today, we've got Zach, Matt, and Eric Browning. Why did I say your last name and not everyone else's last name? I've done that before. It's the seat. It's It's, that seat. It's like that one. I feel like I have to be more proper because you're closer to me. Yep. Do you feel like I I favor you more than the other two? For sure. Because I do. That's why you're next to me. Uh Or at least you smell the best. All right. Hey, we're digging in to Matthew 7 today. And as we just talked about off air, like how in the world can we talk about Matthew 7 in like an hour-ish? Like it's just, there's so much here to really dig into. And so I'm not going to, you know, belabor this any further. So uh, since I like you the most, Eric, and since you're actually drinking right now and I'm distracting you, if you can read verses 1 through 6 of Matthew 7, we'll dig in. Sure. Judge not that you... Be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your, own, out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. So judge not that you not be judged. That first part right here, the words of Jesus, is there a more misused scripture in in all the Bible? Because I, I know there's a lot of them. There's like a whole pantheon of misused scriptures. This is the biggest one. This one is probably the one that is misused the most by Christians and non-Christians alike. So if you start judging, if you're a Christian and you're judging another Christian, a tertiary Christian will be like, oh, you're not allowed to do that. And people that don't read the Bible have never read the Bible. They've at least picked up on that. These are secular people that are like, wait a minute, I thought Christians weren't supposed to judge. I, f- I can't think of another one that is more misused than this. I would say it's, it's to me, it's certainly the most used by non-believers. Right, easily. Like that's that's the, the hammer that they wield against a Christian who says something is wrong, but I would, I would agree with that. Yeah. That's a, it's a misused. Opposite way. <laughs> I tried to give you like Got a it. nonverbal to point the, the mic the directly at your face. It's all good. But yeah, like the misuse is just, I don't know. Like, that's just what I've noticed. Like, have you guys noticed the same? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I just, I had written down that God models unconditional love, but not unconditional approval. Right. You know, so it's, uh, you know, just, you can't just throw that out there and be like, so don't judge me. Well, no, I mean, if, if you're breaking the law and you're not living by truth, and I, I feel like I can, I can say something. Even the secularist judges, everybody judges. And I, I really like what Tim Keller has to say about this. And I'm not, I'm not going to quote him, obviously, but he, he talks about like if, if somebody asks you or says something about you know, Matthew 7, judge not lest you be judged. Like, do you look at things that people are doing? This is kind of a summary of what he is talking about. If, if I say to Eric, do you see things that other people do that you don't agree with? Mm, I yeah. Do. I mean, and, I and you would say, oh, that's wrong. Like you're judging. You're in that moment judging. So we do that all the time. And I, you know, the call to discernment and the, the thing that I wrote down was we should hate our own sin more than we hate the sin in others. And I know that's been said a lot, but I think it's a really good picture of how our heart should be or how the, the, the position that we should take towards this type of thing. Like I should hate my own sin more than I hate Kyle's because a lot of times I can't see that and I'm, I'm, I'm blinded or I have a blind spot to that. Well, and inherently there's humility in that as well. Go ahead, Zach. I was just going to say, I mean, I agree with you. You know, you get to the point where you, you read this and it's saying you need to understand yourself so that you're in a good, clear position to help somebody else potentially, I think from a position of humility, but in verse six, this is kind of a command and it, it sort of implicitly states that you'll be judging people. Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. So at a certain point you have to make that judgment call that this may not be fruitful and I'm going to have to move on. And, and implicitly we're judging at that point. Well, you're, you're bringing up a great thing there because this verse six can save you a lot of time wasting in arguments. Yeah. And that's why I tell people all the time and I'll, I'll keep saying it, but it's when you feel like you're getting into an argument, you ask this question, Hey, if you were wrong about that, would you want me to tell you? 
And they're, the way they answer that will show you if they're in a good place to accept rebuke, if they're even open to that, if they're just being ignorant, if they're a fool. Their answer to that will almost assuredly reveal that to you. But also verse 6 takes us right back to verse 1 in that this isn't saying don't judge full stop. This is saying that we shouldn't judge harshly or destructively, but if we don't judge at all, then guess what is part of judgment? Discernment. And you can't discern between a dog and a non-dog or a you know, pig and a non-pig if, if you're not having any judgment at all. And so I think the problem that even Christians, well-meaning Christians will run into is they'll be like, oh my gosh, I'm not supposed to judge. And they lose all ability to discern between things. And it's like, dude, that's worse, way worse. Yeah, it's interesting too, though. He says, do not give, in ESV, it says, do not give dogs what is holy. And I think the right reference point and the right frame there is to come from a place of what is holy. And so if we think about what is holy, God is holy. I'm not holy, so I'm not judging by my own standards. I'm going back to what God has put in place. By what standard am I coming? From what is holy and what God has said is holy. So I'm not coming to you or anyone with my presuppositions. I'm coming from a place that understands what God says. And I think that that can really gear our heart in the right way, or it should. Yeah, and I was, uh, I was just thinking about that whole idea of judge, judge, being judgmental. If, if I measure somebody's life by their, their worst actions, if that's my modus operandi, that's, that's a bad thing, right? A bad place to be. If I, if I look at someone and only speak about their faults, you know, that, then I'm coming at it from a wrong, a wrong angle. Uh, and then to your point on um, throwing my pearls before the swine, um, there are just things that, you know, if someone's not going to, if somebody doesn't have the same state of mind that I've got on something like, here's a stupid example. Like my wife and I have a, a house divided. So she's a huge OU fan. I'm an Oklahoma state fan. I'm not going to go share with her all these fun things that I'm finding out about Oklahoma state, which, you know, whether there are some or not, you know, at times it seems like we're at a little bit of a rough season. Maybe it's okay. But you know, she's not going to care about that. Right. So I'm I'm not going to throw my, my pearls before because she's going to trample and be like, well, I still stink. Well, completely so. contrary to what Oklahoma State football is right now, pearls are actually valuable and they actually have like good things. <laughs> and I know this is coming out a little bit after we record it, but I think that therein lies the point is Jesus is using these examples so perfectly in this parable because pearls are deeply valuable. And so when he's talking, he, when he's saying, you know, I guess the message of heaven, which is at this point of his ministry is what he's bringing. That is what is of so much value. And he's describing animals in this time period that were lower than low. Like you couldn't be lower than like a stray dog or a pig, like mm-hmm. the, in terms of unclean animals that could defile you just by even touching one. Right. Like that's, that's the difference that we get that when we hear about dogs and swine, now we think about our dog and we think about, you know, was it babe or whatever, like, you know, Disney pig is, it is famous right now, but it's like, no, it's a, it's something that is more valuable than anything you could possibly imagine. And you're throwing it basically in the dumpster. I think that's a great point because I think uh, that's so true. Like we think of our dog. And so that's, I mean, I love my dog. Right. I would give him a pearl. When you're reading the Bible, the, the, I, I don't know which, which uh, theologian says this. And I, I know a lot of them do, but when you're reading the Bible, there are three things that are really important. Number one is context. Number two is context. Number three is context. Yeah. And yeah. so in the context of what he is saying, like, yeah, pigs are disgusting and filthy and you shouldn't touch them. And so that's, I think that's a really good thing to keep in mind of, in that time frame, that's that's what it was. Yeah, and I, I think ironing, sharpening iron is a good example of, it's really a hard issue. If you're dealing with somebody from the right position and it's coming from the right place, from a humble perspective, that's then right. you're doing the right thing. And I think Paul you know, specifically says that we should correct in love, rebuke in love. If it's somebody that's not a Christian that you're speaking with, I agree with somebody like Frank Turek that says, if Christianity were true, would you become a Christian just yeah. to ferret that out? Great quickly. answer. A great question. Yeah. But I mean, it goes back to what you were saying earlier, Eric, to where it's like, okay, so let's take a, you just a made up person, John Doe. And we know that John Doe has beaten and cheated on his wife. Right. So I believe all of us at this table would have some very strong opinions about that type of an action. Right. But if you're comparing yourself to that version of him, you will always be superior. Right. Or at least, you know, for most of us, like we would always be superior, but it's the humility that you're talking about, Zach, to where it's like, if you don't approach someone else, your, your brother and their ailments from a place of humility, you will compare. And so it's just like the same thing as like, yeah, if when women compare their lives to what their other friends are posting on Instagram, 
it's that same nefarious, you know, comparison spirit. And then we get back, Matt, I know you've mentioned on other forging tables, James two and the sin of partiality. And it's like, that's all wrapped up in, in the same thing, but it all comes from the state of superiority. I'm better than this person. Yeah, I've made some mistakes, but that guy over there, he's worse than rotten. He used to hit his, did you know he hit his wife? And so we can feel really, really puffed up with all that. Is there anything else on that before we move off of it? Because that's it. We could spend the hour talking about that, but there's still so much good stuff in Matthew seven. I, I, I think it's, I I wrote this down second Samuel 12, when David, this is a perfect, perfect example of that. David is blinded to his own sin. And as Samuel's telling him the story, he has rightful outrage. And it's like, Hey man, that's you. He's like, Oh, you got me. You got me. And so I think, I think that's a good thing to remember of like, we have to come, like Zach said, come from the right place. We're judging against what God says is holy, not what I say. So. Yeah. And the only thing I'd add on there is um, there are two types of scales. There's the measure of mercy and the measure of judgment. And the question is, which one do you want to be measured more heavily by? We all have versions of that for us and versions that we want for other people. <laughs> like we always want them to get judgment and for us to get grace is how that works out. But before we move on, I did want to take a quick second here. So this is our little commercial. So those of you watching on YouTube or Rumble, you might've noticed a stack of books at the end of the table that's never been there. Well, our great friends at Crossway that we've mentioned their products here and we've, we've interviewed a lot of their authors. We actually worked with them because you guys have been asking like, hey, I want to start a forging table and I don't really know what to do. And the real answer is, well, get a group of guys together, get a table and open the Bible. That's the real answer. Mm -hmm. But for those of you that are wanting to go a little bit deeper, we brainstormed here as forging tablers and with Crossway, what are the books that could get somebody wanting to start something like this off on the right foot? And it's that stack right there. So we're just going to call that the forging table starter set. So what Crossway has done, right? And they're not paying us to do this guys. Like this is not a paid commercial. This is literally just for your value. Those five books, if you order them all through the Crossway website, you will get 50% off of that stack, okay? You literally can't get a better deal anywhere else. If you piecemeal all those together and use whatever, you know, thing you use on Google Chrome to find the best deal across the internet, you will still not be able to find that stack of books for any cheaper. So I want to go through the list of these and in the future, I won't mention it in this detail, but since we're just bringing it out there at the bottom is the ESV men's study Bible. So this is a study Bible that is targeted at men and it uses some of the same commentary from their best-selling Bible, which is the ESV study Bible. And so the ESV study Bible, it's typically, it's got the orange, black, and, and white cover and all that. It's their best-selling Bible, but it's the men's version of that. It just came out this year and you can get any version of it. That's just the regular hardback one, but they got three different leather versions. You can get any one of the ones you want. Then in the middle there is the Book of Romans scripture journal study set. So as I've told you guys about a million times, I use these scripture journals. So it's the ESV. And so it's the scripture on the left side, and then it's note pages on the right. Okay. So it's something about writing in Bibles that make me feel funny. This is more like a journal. But what that one is, is it actually gives you the commentary notes on the bottom of the page. So you've got the scripture on the left, you've got the commentary notes, and you've got the notes section. So it's a book of Romans, so that might give you a hint as to something we might study in the next couple of years. Then we've got a book by Paul David Tripp. It's actually a devotional called New Morning Mercies. And so, and I think you've actually done this one before, Browning, haven't you? Haven't you done that devotional? Or you've uh, Yep, we've got it. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. And so what, like, have you gone through some of the devotionals? Because I haven't had a chance to really go through. This was just one that Crossroads was like, dude, you absolutely have to have this one put in there as a devotional. Yeah, it's, it's on uh, the nightstand next to our bed. Very yeah, good. Absolutely. Man, I'm so glad. I had no idea that you actually had that, but I was like, I think he said it. So yep. I took a risk. Yep. Totally worked out. Then we've got a book by Doug O'Donnell, Douglas O'Donnell. So he's been on the podcast before, but this is called The Beauty and Power of Biblical Exposition. This is to help you understand that the entire Bible is full of different categories of writing. Okay. There's wisdom literature, there's history, there's poetry, there's apocalyptic literature, there's what there's gospels, there's all kinds of categories. And so you can't read the Bible all the same. Okay. You can't read the song of Solomon. Like you're reading the book of acts, you know, as an example, or it might be fun. Yeah. I mean, whoever knows, I don't know why those are the first two I can mind. We can just move past that, but that is a great resource for you guys. That'll help you really read the Bible better. And the last one is family shepherds. So family shepherds is a book by Vody Bauckham. And so this is a book that's not one of his more well-known books like fault lines or something like that. But if you were a dad that is trying to be serious about being the spiritual 
thermostat of your household and not thermometer, that book gives you a great idea of how to pull that off. So again, I know it's taking a little bit, but this first time I'm doing it, it's a three-step process. Super easy to get that stack of books for half off. You go to crossway.org. This will all be in the show notes, crossway.org, and you create a free Crossway Plus account. There's no like, oh, it's free for the first three months and then they're going to charge you 50 bucks a month. No, it's just a free account so they can have a better idea of who you are. Make sure you actually register your account as well. Again, that, that link will be in the show notes. So that's step one, crossway.org, create your Crossway Plus account. Then put all of the individual books in your cart. The links to the individual books are also going to be in the show notes. I'm making this super easy for you guys. And then you put this code in at checkout. BSSP50. So that's Bravo Sierra Sierra Papa 50 BSSP50 to get 50% off of that stack of books at checkout. Guys, I know that took forever. Anybody got anything to say about any of those books before we move back into Matthew I've, 7? I've got the Romans study journal. It's all, it's great. The, the fact that that thing's pretty thin, but the fact that they get as many study notes in there along with full pages for journaling is pretty incredible. So yeah, it's a good, it's a good stack of books right there. Right. I mean, you got Bible, devotional, uh, kind of like a, almost like a, a textbook, you know, kind of teaching. You've got a journal, you've got kind of just a nonfiction book, but Zach, you were going to say something as well. I was just going to say the Bible that you have there, like you mentioned, is part of the ESV study Bible. And I think it's also a combination of their old uh, men's devotional Bible. Mm. So there's lots of different um, sort of one page studies from Alistair Begg and all these various people that really entice you and pull you in. And they're, they're in all the right positions in the Bible as you're going through it. So Absolutely. It's a, it's a great Bible. And again, guys, I just want to reiterate, this is for you. Again, Crossway didn't come up with this idea. We came up with the idea and they loved the idea. Obviously, they want to sell books. This is not a paid ad. This is just, I keep getting guys asking me, what type of stuff should I buy? You know, yeah, you've got your 100 books every modern Christian man should read list, but just for the forging table, that's it right there. Check it out. It will be in the show notes. Zach, would you mind reading uh, Matthew 7? Let's go 7 through 11, please. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? Yeah, I, I don't want to give anything in Matthew 7 short shrift. These next few sections, uh, we have to be somewhat brief. But I mean, mm. I feel like Jesus is throwing haymakers mm. in Matthew 7. The things that are recorded here are just haymakers. He's not feeling that. This isn't the feeling out process. This isn't getting your footwork squared away. Like these are just haymakers. And the one thing I did write down, the first note I wrote down on this section is prosperity gospel. People have to love this section. Because they don't have to read it correctly. They just have to read it (laughs) in the way that they want. And they're just like, wait a minute. If I just ask, it will be given to me. This is great. Well, I would like to bless this ministry and ask that it be returned to me in the the form of private jets or whatever. Uh, So that's kind of my skepticism coming out or my cynicism, if you will. What are some other things from this section here? Because it's so rich. But what are some other things that y'all thought would be valuable to discuss? I think this speaks towards persistence in prayer. Um, I wrote down Colossians 4, 4, 2, where Paul talks about um, continue steadfastly in prayer, which is, which is like kind of a, you should be doing this at all times. Um, and so if you're seeking, if you're seeking God in prayer, it's not a, like you said, it's not a, oh, I want a jet. So I'll ask God for a jet. And Matthew, Jesus says, if I ask, God's going to give it to me. So I should just ask for whatever I want. It is this, this call to come alongside and seek out what is holy because God wants to give us what is holy. And, and what's the, what's the greatest thing that we can get is, is salvation. And I love the argument. It's, it's, it's called the how much more argument. And that's what I wrote down in there. So I love this line. If you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him, man, I think that speaks towards depravity. We are sinners in need of well that's in verse 11 savior. if yeah. you then who are evil yeah he's talking we, about y'all yeah, yeah. and well, us he's, talk, right. he's talking about us we are evil and can still discern oh i should you know i should give my children good things um how much more than does does your father in heaven give those things to you i, I love that well and i i think the uh, prosperity gospel folks probably do not like then the verse later on in james that says you ask and do not receive 
because you ask to spend what you get on your own pleasures. That's a really good point. I wrote down James echoes a lot of things within the uh, Sermon on the Mount. Uh, James 3.12 asks, asking God for good things. Um, he's got God, the good gift giver. Um, I mean, he, he echoes almost this entirely. And you can go through the book of James and, and go back to something that's in the Sermon on the Mount that James is then saying and repeating and, and giving, giving some more insight into. It's pretty incredible. Well, that's actually really interesting because in the last year, our church that uh, three of the four of us go to, Faith Bible, has gone through the book of James expositorily, verse by verse. Joby Martin has done that. I think, I forget they did like three months on the book of James or whatever. James is like kind of a no-nonsense guy, right? As you read through the stuff that he's saying, but I never really thought about that until y'all said this. The book of James is a great... I guess, side-by-side partner Mm -hmm. to the Sermon on the Mount. 100%. And I just never really connected. I guess you could say that, you know, tangentially about anything in the Gospels. The book of James kind of goes with it. But specifically with the stuff that Jesus is talking about in the Sermon on the Mount, I mean, James is like, yep, the the, the nail's already hammered in, but I'm going to go ahead and hammer it some more. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Go ahead. I I was just going to say, Matthew is obviously laying out a case for Jesus's authority here. And in the Sermon on the Mount, he is, he is, saying he is he's speaking authoritatively on these things um and i I just i just love that he you know puts it out there and he's talking about all of these things because this is his kingdom and he's talking about i am the king and my authority is here and let me tell you some of these things about how you should be acting towards others with yourself towards your heavenly father and i just man it's he, you're right. He pulls no punches and it's, it's good. I love it. Go I ahead. Think, I think too, when you're just talking about, you know, a father's perspective here, I mean, these are obvious things, but you mentioned prosperity gospel. I mean, the other day in Academy, my son came up with a machete asking me if I could buy it for him. Right. And you got him too. Right. Let's go. So I think uh, to make it personal, I think back through many things that I prayed for in my past, you know, big decisions, uh, big things that I wanted you know, et cetera. And it didn't happen. Mm. And now in hindsight, it's like that country song, right? You know, thank goodness I didn't marry that girl or Garth do Brooks. this or, or whatever. So, <laughs> so many truths yeah. in those words. <laughs> I, I think it's one thing that we can do that's really helpful is to think through your life about the things that you prayed for that you didn't get that ultimately ended up being, you know, just great blessings in your life for where you are today. Well, it's funny because it's 90s country. You know, I thank God for unanswered prayers. Like it's, yeah. it's easy to sing and it, it makes, you know, a catchy tune, but doesn't it speak to maturity though? Because all of us were 16 at one point. Yep. We were heartbroken from our first girlfriend or whatever the thing was. And we never thought that we would get over that, that pain or we were cut from the team or we got JV and we thought we should have got varsity. We didn't get the scholarship or whatever the thing is that as a parent, you see your teenager going through that and you, you're just like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah okay. Yeah, you're, you're not going to die, but you can't convince the kid that they're not going to die. This is the worst thing that's ever happened to them because it's the worst thing that's ever happened to them. But then you, as an adult, you will still experience stuff like that where you're so flippant, frustrated at something that didn't happen. And then five years goes by and you're just like, oh my God, my life would have sucked so much worse had I gotten that. Like I definitely wanted that promotion, but that promotion was not only going to come with, you know, an extra 20% in salary, it was going to come with an extra 50% of travel, which was going to decrease the amount of time I get to spend with my family by 50%. And then all of a sudden your entire life's out of whack if you had gotten the thing that your heart most desired in that moment. Yeah, I, I think, think it's a great point. I think understanding time in context to our lives, like when you're 16, the book of your life is really short. and It, yep. it has 16 chapters in it. Mm-hmm. When you're 55 years old, your high school years probably are half of a chapter. And, you know, in the, in the context, in the grand scheme of your life, that's, I mean, I think that, that, that is why Paul is saying in Timothy, like, new believers and young people really should be cautious about being pastors because they've not experienced something like a, like a 20 year old guy. Who's like, I'm a pastor now. He might panic when somebody brings something like that to his, to his desk and he yeah. might go, Oh my God, I don't know what to do here. A guy who's 55 is like, man, I, I, I've been through that three been times there. myself. No biggie. <laughs> That's not a big deal. Okay, so I've, I've uh, ripped Craig Rochelle quite a bit on this show and he's deserved it, but I'm going to give him, uh, I'm going to give him some praise here. One of the things that he's done has allowed people to do exactly what you just said, Matt, and his first book was called Kazon. That's like God's purpose for your life. Well, I used to teach Kazon classes where I would teach people how to figure out their Kazon. But one of the things that they had to do is they had to put their life into chapters, Mm. right? And wouldn't you know it, 
the 22-year-old newly married guy working his first job, his five chapters, what were those? Uh, before school, elementary school, middle school, high school, <laughs> college. Like those were his chapters. But then you have the retiree who school yeah. is like chapter it's one. Exactly. And then they've got four other yeah. chapters after that. And that, that has helped so many people get perspective that when I used to help people with their cousins, I was kind of help. I was able to get their whole life into one sentence. That was something I was able to help them with, but also the chapter thing. It's like, dude, this is like worth the entire price of admission here, even though this was free, like put your life into five chapters and then it'll help you not sweat the small stuff. Like my dad wasn't another a country song, Phyllis, <laughs> another country song, but like my dad wasn't like a philosopher. He didn't grow up reading a bunch of books, but one thing he told me over and over and over is Kyle, don't sweat the small stuff. Like this is, this is small stuff. Don't sweat it. And it's like, but at the time you can't really put that into perspective. And as I'm looking at the clock, we are never going to get through Matthew <laughs> seven if we stick here. So we need to go to the golden rule. So Matt, with your golden pipes, could you read verses 12 through 14? <laughs> oh, this is my, this is probably one of my favorite. All right, let's get chapter it. Let's seven. go. So, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them for this is the law and the prophets enter by the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. So my argument is that Matthew 7 verse 12 is the most famous verse in all of Scripture. Most people would say John 3.16, but if you ask people to say John 3.16, if they have no theology, they, they can't explain why that is such a significant verse. Everybody can explain the golden rule, and everybody can at least tangentially you know, be related to the golden rule, whether or not they can quote it directly from Matthew 7 verse 12. But Matt, you said this is probably your favorite part of uh, Matthew 7. So get after yeah, it. Let's so go. I, like right here, it's a basically a summer, it's, it's his summarization of his entire sermon. And he's, he's flipping the script because if we talk about context and the context of the ancient Jewish world, everybody knew you shouldn't, if you don't want something done to you, you shouldn't do it to somebody else. So there, there was this adage of the negative of that. If I don't want somebody to kill me, I shouldn't kill somebody else. But Jesus, like he does with so many things, says the positive inverse of that. What you want done to you, you should do to others. So if I want someone to be nice to me, I should be nice to them. And it's a positive flipping of that. And I said it's, the, it's, the, it's a reversal of that old adage. It is a positive command. Yeah, there. And, I, and I just I would add, I had the exact same thing written down then. I just add that it's an active versus a passive type of thing. So we're not, we're not just waiting around or just, we're not, we're not waiting for something bad to not happen. We're actually going, okay, this is the good that we should do. And we're going and doing it for that person. And I, I saved this, uh, this quote from Spurgeon. I really like what he says here. He's talking about specifically verse 12. He says, Oh, that all men acted on it and there would be no slavery, no war, no swearing, no striking, no lying, no robbing. But all who would be ju- or all would be justice and love. What kingdom is this which has such a law? He just had a way. He, just, he, 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 like, he had a way with words, did he not? Like, reading his words out loud just makes you smarter, I think. Like, because <laughs> it's it's got a little bit of an old English to it. You're like, <laughs> you're like frothing your shirt. Like, yes, yes, yes. This uh, is perfect with your cigar. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The Spurge, <laughs> guys. I'm just telling you, we're gonna release another cigar called the Spurge. Get ready. Is it but, called the Glory of God? Uh, ooh. <laughs> It will be now. Goodness gracious. Guys, we're coming up with all kinds of entrepreneurial (laughs) ventures. We also have uh, timeshares that if anybody's interested, we can uh, can hook you up. Um, No, here's the one thing that I wanted to kind of talk about as well, because again, we've got so much more in Matthew 7 to talk about. But in verse 14, for the gate is narrow, and a lot of people want to talk about the narrow gate. I guess guess we could if y'all want to, but it's, and the way is hard. And I wrote in my, my notes, do hard things because we typically don't. And that is true across the board. Men don't read books. Why? Because it's hard, right? Men don't work out. Ah, it's hard. Like the number one hardest thing to do physically is to get into shape. The number two hardest thing to do is to stay in shape, right? But I would rather stay in shape than to ever get out of shape and then have to re-get into it because that's even harder. But we just, I guess churches make, make being a Christian seem easy and seem peachy. But I'm just reminded of, uh, oh gosh, Alfred Lansing Endurance uh, Shackleton. So when Shackleton was trying to get people together for his venture to the South Pole, right? Do y'all remember the ad? I'm, I'm going to yeah, butcher it. In the but, newspaper, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. what were some of the things that he put in the newspaper? Here, I'll just, I'll All just I remember, it, it, was, it was like, you know, possible fame, probable death. You right. know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. And then everybody signed up. <laughs> yeah. All right, let me actually look up the newspaper ad because it's just like, why would anybody... 
uh, actually say this. Okay, men wanted for hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, um, constant danger, safe return, doubtful, honor and recognition in case of success. Ernest Shackleton, right? And some people are like, oh, he didn't actually do that. I will just say he did for the story because it makes me sound smarter. But like, that's, that's the thing about this is like, he had people lined up around, he had to tell people no. Right. He had to kind of whittle it down. But at church, we try to make it seem like, oh, being a Christian's like so easy and you'll, you'll, you know, have a better life and you'll be better at life. And th- this will just be great. And it's just like, no, you're not guaranteed that. And we see that throughout even the next few chapters of Matthew. Like you're not guaranteed anything other than hardship. You know, when he calls the disciples here in a couple of chapters, like he's not saying, hey, guys, uh, riches and hoes. That's what you're that's what you got, you know, coming down the pike for you. No, that's not what you're going to get. And I, I wrote down Psalm 1, 2, and 3. If you want a picture of the gospel, mm-hmm. go read Psalm 1, 2, and 3 in order. It is mm-hmm. the gospel. Psalm 1 talks about the way of the righteous and the way of the, rick, the wicked. Psalm 2 talks about God is the king. He is on his throne. It literally ends with um, kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way. The way is talking about the way of the wickedness from Psalm, from Psalm 1. For his wrath, his wrath, his wrath, his wrath is quickly It's a wascally wrath. But it, it literally ends with the, the greatest news that you could ever hear. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. And then three is talking, Psalm three is talking about like God save me. And so if you want the gospel, read those three Psalms together. It is beautiful. It will, it will enrich your life. But like when it talks about the way is narrow, I think people like in the garden, Adam and Eve, we focus on the negative prohibition that God gives us. Don't eat of that fruit. And people go, man, why could, how could somebody, the the way is narrow? Like, come on, man. I thought everybody got to heaven, but it's, it's not, it's on purpose that Jesus starts the sentence by saying, enter. The fact that he has invited us to enter at all, we should be thankful for that. And it, yes, it's a narrow gate, but that's just the starting point. And we can, we can harp on all that. Like, okay, there's not going to be very many in there, but just like the prodigal son, the fact that he invites us to come in at all, we should be eternally thankful for, and we should not miss that. And we should sit in that and be, and, and be gr- grateful towards that. Every time we drive <clears throat> to, um, to Durango uh, for, we go there every, every fall for vacation, um, we, we pass invariably somewhere on I-40 out near Amarillo the cattle farms. Oh my gosh. Anybody from this area knows exactly what you're talking about. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Just might as well just hold your breath for about two minutes (laughs) as you go through there. But I got really interested. I mean, uh, as important as that smell is, I was like, what, I mean, what goes on out there? And, uh, you know, they just herds and thousands of these cattle are out there. And, um, when they're ready to, to slaughter them, they start funneling them, you know, and up a raceway. And then they, do something called stunning, which I guess there's like four different ways of stunning an animal um, humanely. Um, and then, of course, they bleed them and do what they, what they do after that. And then it shows up on our dinner table. But I was thinking about that as the wide gate. You know, I, I don't know what these cattle think when they show up there, but I, I'm imagining if it were me and I was a person in a cattle's body or whatever, being like, hey, it's like an awesome huge party. This is amazing. You know, you get out there and you're like, wait, it's kind of stinky. And why you keep running into me? And it's kind of weird. But everybody's like, well, yeah, but we get to go up this this really cool place later on and we'll all kind of like go up there together. And then sure enough, we come, come to that time and you kind of start funneling up the raceway and then meet your end. I feel like that's how most of these people are going to be. It's like, it's a, like a huge party through the wide gate, but they don't realize it gets more narrow as they go. And then they all get slaughtered in the end. Emotionally, it's, it's hard to, to do what he's saying. I mean, hard specifically talking about your word. What I like about essentially treat others as you wish to be treated is it's almost mathematical and it's precision. Like it's self-governing. Think about the most difficult circumstance. I was in a conversation uh, before we came here about the prodigal son and uh, somebody had a lot of issues with the way the older son was thinking about the younger son. And you just have to think, well, you've been forgiven period. So in what position are you in to judge It's no different than the thief on the cross. Right. But it puts you in that position where you think about how hard that is, especially if you think you deserve something. So it's funny you bring up the prodigal son because I was not expecting a lot from the sermon this morning at church and I'll, I'll just leave it at, at that because, and then when it's like, okay, we're gonna talk about the prodigal son. It's like, okay, I can turn my brain off because we've heard this a thousand times. And the, the guy that gave the sermon this morning even said that he's like, I'm not going to say anything y'all haven't heard before. And then he proceeded to say a bunch of stuff I had never heard before yeah. about this story, but something, and I know this kind of makes me dumb guys, 
something clicked for me this morning with the story of the prodigal son because I've always hated that story because I'm with the older brother. I'm like, screw that friggin' idiot brother of yours. He should have stayed with the pigs. Like, that's what he, that's what he gets. Like, I'm a justice guy. I want people to get their justice. But he's like, look, the older brother is just as lost as the, as the younger brother. Yep. He's just as lost. Yep. But he's lost because he thinks, I'm going to work and work and work and work, and someday this is going to pay off. Why is it going to pay off? Not because the father is good, but because I am. And I was just like, yep. I finally get it. Yep. It's like I f- it finally like clicked through that emotion, intellect barrier in my brain and soul. And it was just like, yeah, the brother's a turd. He's just a better turd, like in terms of like how the world the, looks at it, you the, know? The parable of, of, what is it, the king that's forgiving his servant of his debts, then that mm-hmm. servant turns around yeah. and throws somebody in jail for their debts or whatever. Yeah. It's the same thing. Yeah, it's like but, it's the same. But, the older brother who's, differently. but whose house do they both get to live in and who, who says they can live there? The yeah. father who yeah. is God in that story right. is the one who says, both of y'all get to live here. Right. And both the, of y'all are invited in. And it's not as if there's no consequences for the young man. He doesn't re-get his inheritance. His right. inheritance exactly. is gone. And so he's probably going to have to be a lowly servant in right. his father's house for the remainder of his days, right? But, you know, what is it? The, the you know, it's better one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. It's like you'd rather be in the father's house broke than to have riches outside the father's house, mm-hmm. right? Because the riches will wane, you know, after time. So, and here we go, going all <laughs> going all off. And I, see, I knew this was going to happen with Matthew 7. We just need to kind of embrace it. Anything else on the golden rule before we move on? I know. Why did I ask that? I know the answer is yes. So we're just going to skip on. I'm going to be the bad guy. Browning, if you could do 15 through, what are we doing? 15 through 20, please. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. So the thing with false prophets is they are impersonating shepherds. And some of them are doing it on purpose and some of them have just ended up there. And I'm not going to name any by name, you know, Andy Stanley or anything like that. But it's like people that maybe started out good. And then now it's like they're saying things and standing up for things that are literally contrary to what the Bible says. And that is definitionally what a heretic does. Whatever your established church tradition or faith tradition says about a subject matter, if you preach and proselytize things that are opposite to that, that makes you a heretic. But the warning here at the end is the the trees that do not bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Yikes. Like if you're one of those false teachers or false shepherds, and some of them are doing it on purpose. Some people just are believing wrongly and then spreading that to people and they're going to pay for that someday, but they're not doing it nefariously. But even especially for the ones that are nefariously raising money off of impressionable people, foolish people, like you don't have a great future laid ahead for you. Like you are going to get your comeuppance at some point. Agreed. Other thoughts. <laughs> like, did, did I just nail the section? Do we need you to move on to the next section? No, I didn't nail it. Y'all have thoughts. Let's go. Well, I just wrote down a few things. I put that, you know, fruit is life producing. So if we're looking, you know, when you say we'll know them by their fruit, you know, we want to, when we look at someone, we look and see, see whether what they're doing is producing life. If it's leaving you empty or wanting more, uh, maybe it's not fruit, maybe it's entertainment. Um, obviously, if it's not consistent with God's word, then it's fruitless. Um, and I put, um, I'm put on here, you cannot recognize half truths and deviations from the word unless you are in the word consistently. And so we've probably said that on here before, but like if you were going to try to figure out whether there are yellow, red, red flags in a situation, you know, how are you going to know? It's like, well, if you know, if you know what the truth is, then when non-truth comes along, then it becomes a lot easier to recognize those yellow red flags and stuff. Recognize a crooked line if you know what a straight one looks mm-hmm. like. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. let's actually talk about that a little bit more because verse 20, thus you will recognize them by their fruits. And I brought this up before and there, there's no sarcasm here, like no funny business. How? How do you judge someone's fruit? Because I've said this before, this is my biggest hang up with John MacArthur. 
And like, shut up, Matt. But this is my biggest hang up with oh, him. I agree with is you I know, on this. I know, because you and I have gone back and forth on this, and you've tried to help me, and then you realize at one point I might just be a swine. I'm just too <laughs> dumb to understand what you're trying to share with me. But if you've listened to John MacArthur for very long, if you've read any of his writings, right? And I've got a book over there on the shelf called uh, uh, "Salvation or Without a Doubt" or something like that, to where it's like, here's 200 pages on assurance of salvation, and you get to the end of the book, and you're just like. I'm pretty sure I'm going to hell. Like there's, I've, there's I've like said, a zero point I've said zero this before. No one is less sure of their salvation than someone listening to John MacArthur talk about <clears throat> the assurance of salvation. Right. And specifically fruit, because when you listen to him talk about fruit, it's just like, I don't know that I know someone whose fruit is sweet enough, like to meet the standards that John MacArthur would put out there. Not that it shouldn't be a high standard, but it's confusing to me when I look at you guys and I'm judging your fruit as weird as that sounds now that it's come out of, out of my mouth. Uh, but we'll, we'll just move past that. But like, as it's, it, we've already talked about song Solomon. So here we are, but it's like, I'm trying to judge other people's fruit because I'm trying to compare, like, what is the fruit of my Christian walk versus Zach's or Matt's or Eric's. And it's just like, wait a minute. If I use John MacArthur's rubric, nobody has sweet enough fruit. And that's like, that's hard for me to kind of think through. I don't know what to do with that. Well, the best we can do, you know, is, uh, you know, like filthy rags. I mean, it's like we, you know, even our best is not, does not meet God's standard, if that makes sense. So there is something always wanting because we live in, in the flesh and have not been made perfect. I just, I just sit there and think about like, I mean, John MacArthur does not know my heart. It's, it's impossible from him to know my heart. So he can only speak it, at it from an external, I think, point of view in, in some respects. And I, I don't know, I haven't listened to him deep on all that stuff, but, um, but that's just what I, what I was thinking is like, I know my heart and I, and honestly, in studying some of this stuff, um, even over the last week or two, I, I've had moments where I've been really challenged. I'm like, oh gosh, Lord, sometimes I wonder, you know, in the, in the same thing in this, in this section, just Sometimes I feel like a complete turd, you know, and uh, the, the fruit today did not exist. You know, maybe it did yesterday. Maybe it will tomorrow. I think looking you know, so. at, at MacArthur in context of what he's trying, he's trying to shepherd his flock. And if we take that in our immediate response is to say we should judge others by their fruit before we can look inward and judge ourselves by our own fruit, I think we would be in error. And so I think a, the heart of his message is to say, take this internally. And what are your fruits? These are the fruits that, I mean, the Bible lays them out. Does your life bear these fruits? And I should first look inward before I could, I mean, back to the start of chapter seven, Jesus is talking about judging. I should first look inward before I look to anybody else. But I guess the question, Matt, would be, so love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, like the, the list goes on and on. Like we all vacillate on between good and bad on all those categories. Some of those categories we're naturally good at, others we're terrible at, but we kind of like have this, we're always between one and 10 and we're never out of 10, we're never at one. But I think, you the, kind of what I'm I think the difference from, I agree with you. I think the difference for me is probably before I gave my life to Christ, my perspective on why those things were important was totally different. What do you mean? So I pray with my son every night, mm-hmm. right? And we talk about things like that because he'll mention stuff he's struggling with and we talk about fruits of the spirit and prayer for help with those things. And, and I really appreciate and have a thirst to want to see those things manifest in my life and in his life and others around me. There, that thirst did not exist previously. There was sort of a false ambition where I may have wanted to have some of those things come across, but it wasn't like this deep sense that, that's where I'm headed. That's where I want to go for a whole different set of reasons. So I think maybe one indication for me would be the gospel and Christ and the spirit can truly change people from the inside out. And I think uh, you, there's a lot of skeptics out there. I know you count yourself as a skeptic in a lot of cases that say people never change. Well, with this, people do change. And I think the desire to want to have those things is a fundamental shift inside of people that you can start to sense with real Christians and that fruit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, what is my motive? Every rep that comes into into our office is a nice person. Right. Because they want to sell me something. Right. I mean, that is the motivation for their fruit, so to speak, because they want to sell something. But 
you know, I mean, it, it, what you said, I mean, when your motivation changes, what this is, I do this for the glory of God. I don't right. do this for myself. I think that's why Jesus yeah. calls it out because it can be confusing because if we're looking at what we might consider a false teacher, like there, it, there are probably are some fruits like, man, my ministry is giving away millions of dollars to help people. And such and such ministry, they give over half their profit away to homeless shelters. Those things are good, but is the fruit of self-interest, which is what I wrote down, like we can judge people by, are they doing things out of self-interest? A lot of times it's hard to understand their heart, but like Jesus, I think that's why Jesus is speaking to that. We should, we should be grounded in the word and we should know what that looks like so we can call out a counterfeit because we know the, the true authentic version. But when I think it also applies to what, what you're saying as well, Zach, it's like, okay, so let's say you're, you're a non-Christian and you're wanting to be patient with your wife. Okay. Because when you're impatient with your wife, she gets mad at you and then she won't have sex with you. Right. Okay. So your motivation is, you know, I want the house to, to, you know, be fine. And I want to have sex tonight. Probably. The difference is then you become a Christian. It's like, I'm going to be patient with my wife because God is patient with me. And so even if she's impatient with me, that doesn't matter. Like this isn't a comparison of ledgers, right? Like my motivation is I'm going to please God. It's kind of similar. And I I don't mean to to pat myself on the back here, but early on, like first 10, 12, 50, 100, 150 episodes of this podcast, we're well over 500 now. Like when we had like no listeners, I worked just as hard on those episodes as I do on the ones that we release now, because I was like, well, I'm trying to honor God here, right? I'm not trying to honor sponsors at that time. I'm not trying to honor anybody because I'm like, no one's listening to this, but it's like, I'm going to listen to it. And God heard it. And he was there before I even said it. And so it's like, my motivation is not, it's not been tainted because we've had success or because people are listening now with the thought of, you know, trying to sell via our show or something like that. It's like, so that, that, that's actually a really good point. It's like you, you get a different motivation and your fruit will be defined by how that motivation. Isn't it connects. interesting that it's right after seek and you shall find knock and the door will be open. Right. Like we, he's talking we just about skipped over that. Yeah. No, no, I mean, it just goes back. We're talking about false prophets. It's like mm-hmm. right after that, he's talking about false prophets and a lot of false prophets today. And, and throughout all time is prosperity. Like, they can say a lot of Christianese things. God wants you to be rich. Like, look at, look at Matthew 7. God wants you to be rich, asking you, you shall receive. But Jesus, I think, is calling back when he talks about these, tree, these trees being cut down and thrown into the fire. John puts it so, so brilliantly. And this should, this should be a warning. And I know that this has been covered um, previously, but I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. The axe is laid at the root of the tree, man. He's he's coming, and there's a warning to those who who would dress as sheep and try to shepherd flocks, but really be wolves. So, and do we do we find in the Gospels in these warnings from Jesus? Do we find warnings for the sheep? The warnings for the sheep is that they will never find the shepherd. But to all those listening right now, because I know there's a lot of pastors that listen to this, if you lead your flock astray, that is worse than a member of your flock being led astray because they're a sheep. What is a sheep? The dumbest animal in the animal kingdom. Right. And so that's, that's the warning is I'm not going to have to give an account someday for how I followed you, but you are going to have to give an account for how you led me. Right. And how you led the rest of your flock. Now, guys, we're about 50 minutes in at this point, And we have just now gotten to the section that I've wanted to talk about more than any of the other sections, but I didn't want to start there and then have to go back or whatever. So, uh, Eric, if you will read Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23, I'm already terrified to hear this read out loud, but let's go. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. <sighs> it's just like literally like, okay, in Matthew 7, we have 
the most misused verse, maybe in all of scripture, about judgment. We have the most famous verse, the golden rule. And then we have literally perhaps the most terrifying section of scripture, two or three scriptures possible, right? And I, I, I literally don't even know where, where to start with this because of how terrifying it is. But like for someone like me, I'm technically a professional Christian. I know I always get pastors, you know, crap for that when they come on my show and I'm like, Hey, you're a professional Christian. What does that mean? But like, that's kind of what I'm doing. And I'm like, wait a minute, like to a degree I am prophesying right in your name. I'm calling into culture and, you know, put trying to push back darkness. And I just read this and I think back on the last thing I heard John MacArthur say, and then I'm just like, oh my God, I'm definitely going to hell. Like, like I, I just, again, I, I'm kind of talking out of my rear end here because I read this section and it's like, I've heard people talk about it. I've heard pastors talk about it. And I, every time I hear someone explain it, it makes me more scared, right? That, that my salvation is not secured because it's like, dude, I feel like my fruit's fine. But what if I'm, what if I'm too dumb to evaluate my own fruit? Like, and I'm one of these people that's being described here. Does that make sense? I think about it a lot, but I think when I detach and, and try to process through it, you have a conscience and you have a spirit inside of you. And I think you're going to know, I think, I think you'll be crossing some line would be my guess. And you'll know that, that this is going to be your position. I just imagine, you know, back in these times, somebody standing on a street corner, making all of these big, you know, public displays of faith and then privately not adhering to any of them. Yeah, and I immediately thought of um, Psalms 139, 23, and 24, and just this idea that when I pray, it's, it, it's fine to, to talk. It's, it's fine to ask. It's, um, it's fine to um, pray for others. But there are also times where it's just like what the verse says, search me, God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there's any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Where it's just like, Lord, is there, is there something I need to know about myself? Am yeah. I am I exploiting you for my benefit, you know, in my ministry? Um, is my religious activity what I'm counting as enough to get me to heaven? You know, um, it, I think there's, there's moments where we just allow the Lord to reveal himself to us um, if we do have grievous things um, towards him. Yeah, it is terrifying. I mean, you're not wrong. Like reading those words should terrify anyone, even red letter Christians, you know, who just, who just want to take the words of Jesus, man, he's got some pretty harsh things to say here and that should terrify us. But he is going to go on to, to talk about like how you can apply these things and what happens to those who do seek shelter in him. And it's, it's, it's not about the works. It's not about what you're doing. And I mean, in context, this is a call out of the Pharisees who are doing works for people to see them and they're fasting for people to see them. They're doing things. They're following the law very publicly. They would have been the people that said, but Jesus, we did all these things. We were obedient to the ceremonial laws and the civil laws and the moral laws, but you only did it for this temporal material thing that they you sound got. like the older brother. Yeah, they sound like the older brother. And I think we would be wise, and we'll get into this in, in chapter 8 and 9, and I'm sure we'll come back to this. We would be wise to not separate the Savior from salvation. We shouldn't seek Jesus for salvation. We should seek the Savior who is salvation. That's what he is. So let's, let's, let's take that out, and let's, let's talk more about fruit. Because one thing I wrote down is you read verses 21, 22, and 23, and then you go back to verse 20. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruit. Well, in 21 through 23, it's like, hey, uh, here's all this fruit that you thought was good. Nah, playa, it's not. Like, it's not, that's not going to save you. And then you go back to 20, it's like, but we'll recognize them by their fruit. And I'm like, oh, I'm confused again. It's like, you know, again, I, I, I get so jammed up because it's like, I know the limitations of my intellect and this is just throwing me for a let, complete loop. Let me jump in on Let's this. Let's go. So Alistair Begg. The man. Gangster. What was his, one of your most favorite uh, the man on the middle cross said I could come. Yep. Okay. So what does he recommend is the only thing that you should say when you end up hopefully in heaven or because he, because of he, yep. And what does this say? I, yep. Because I, yeah. So it's not the fruits that get you in. It's your belief in your heart position. Mm. Mm. The bag. Yeah. Yeah. The Todd. Did y'all just become the same person? No, that was, that was awesome. Alistair Todd. Well, I mean, it's true, it. right? It it's it's two different that's things. True, yeah. 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 Because I, I. 
I mean, because I, I wrote down, you know, miracles prove nothing, right? Religious acti- activity doesn't prove anything. In the name of Jesus doesn't prove anything. It's like the itself. older brother again. Yeah. Look at all the ways that I've worked day after day after day, and he comes back, and you just give him the ring and bring him back to the house. I, I, I. Christ did 100% of it. And you, I think... You just believe him. I, I think that's him. a fantastic point, Zach. And I... I guess the other thing that I would I would warn pastors listening to this or people that are in charge of ministries is you can orally confess Jesus but have an unrepentant heart. Yeah. And that's almost scarier than this section of scripture. That's what this is. Right. That's I what mean it's exactly what it is. But Even I, the demons know that Christ is Lord. Right? So so I've had that discussion before with with Joby. Um, we haven't had a sorry Joby yet on this particular. Oh wait, you it's said coming. prophecy instead of prophesy. <laughs> prophesy in your name, what? so Eric. Yeah, All so right. say sorry, it. Joby. Sorry, Joby. Gosh. Yeah, we finally got there. It took us almost an hour, but we got one. But I've talked to him about that to where it's just like, wait a minute. When you have somebody at your church that you know at the end of the service you just gave a blistering sermon and then they raise their hand, right? And you count that as a salvation. Like, take me through that because surely. Not all those people are actually saved, regardless of the rubric that you use to judge, right? Whether you're, you know, hyper Calvinist or hyper Armenian or whatever, like however you decide, like you can't really say that. He's like, look, we're counting that. I'm paraphrasing what he said, obviously. We're counting that as somebody moving towards an expression of salvation. And even as their pastor, I can't judge in that moment whether or not it's sincere. And I could spend the next year, every single day for an hour, talking to them and not be able to officially judge. I can give my opinion as to whether or not they have truly put their faith in Christ for their propitiation of their sins. But I can't know that. But we are going to count it and we are going to celebrate it. And we, when we baptize people, we do it on the beach and we throw a party. And when we pray over people, we anoint the oil and we put it on people and we believe what the word says and we believe that people will be healed. And it's like, okay, I can at least get down with that because I've always been wary of these mega churches that put the number of salvations in their annual report. And I'm just like, oh man, now it's a, it's a metric. And I'm like, you can't even quantify that metric, but to a degree, no one can. Because we can't know. Which is why it's important to constantly be preaching the gospel to ourselves. But as pastors, we should be preaching the gospels. Because even our, our church members, who we would say, if we had to guess, are 100% saved, the gospel is something that we should never forget and that we should always be preaching because we, we don't know. But it, it is our command to preach the gospel all the time, the full gospel. Absolutely. Well, guys, uh, we've spent the last several uh, episodes of this really digging into the Sermon on the Mount. Now we need to wrap up the Sermon on the Mount. So, Zach, if you could go ahead and close out Matthew 7, read, uh, read verses 24 through 28, please. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. And go and read through uh, 29. I said 20, but yeah, 29. And when Jesus finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. So again, Matthew's writing his gospel to a mainly Jewish audience, trying to kind of give them an idea of, of what to expect and kind of speaking their language a little bit. And there, there's a lot that you can talk about here as he kind of puts the final, um, final pieces to the Sermon on the Mount. But what captured me was verse 24, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does them, okay? We have to be doers. There's a lot of listeners, right? Because now it's super popular to be into podcasts. That's like a thing. Oh, yeah, I'm into podcasts. And you have these people that will listen to these. Maybe they're listening to sermons, or they're listening to leadership podcasts, or business podcasts, or entrepreneurism podcasts, or, you know, prayer podcasts, or meditation, whatever, fitness. But then it's like, how much of this stuff are you doing? Right. Kyle, I love that, you know, beginning of every year you do the, how to not be a crappy man that year. I was like, okay, well, how many of those things are you implementing in your life? Well, you know, I'm, I'm like thinking through some of those. Oh, you could have just said none of them. Like, and it's going to save me all this nonsense that I have to sift through now. But that's the thing is we hear these words, we read these words, and then we don't 
do them. We're not doers. We're consumers. But it's like, it's just useless if you hear them and do nothing with them. Absolutely useless. Well, and, and on not necessarily the flip side, but just another way of looking at it too. I mean, it, it appears that two different kinds of people built their homes. It's just that one built it on the rock and one built it on sand. And when the, um, the bad things came and the rains you know, hit and hail and thunderstorms and tornadoes, it was just, it was the one that was on sand that uh, did not stand, did not, did not make it through. Where, where is that? Is it in Abu Dhabi? Is that right? Where did they build all of those sand? Like, like sucked all the water out of the sand and built these islands, islands? and then put hotels on them. It's either Abu Dhabi or, uh, um, Dubai, Dubai, Dubai maybe, yeah. yeah. Golly. I, I, I watched a special on that and it's incredible to look at the machinery and the engineering that went into creating those. And I'm still just like, yeah, give it like 30 years. <laughs> That's going to sink. Back into I'm the sure ocean. both the houses in this picture looked great. I'm sure they, they did. Were first mm-hmm. built. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They both look the same. Cool. But they're not. <laughs> no. And then they ran into resistance. Yeah. Like you can think of the storm or the rain as resistance. And it's like you don't, same thing with a person. You don't know how strong someone's faith is until their faith is mm-hmm. tested. Like when you've got the job, your wife's smoking hot, the kids are actually behaving, the dog's not crapping in the house, like everything's good and going great. It's like, oh man, yeah, super blessed. But if your wife just got a bad diagnosis, if you've got a wayward kid and another kid that just got suspended and your, your dog can't be trusted in the house alone, like, and things are just falling down around you, the business deal that you, you made or the move that you made isn't working out, are you still blessed? Yeah. Job, I mean, Satan says to God, he just, like, t- have you considered my servant Job? God says to Satan, and he says, well, he, he only praises your name because you've given him good things. Mm. And then what happens to Job? Mm. <laughs> Rough. Rough, for sure. But it's those people, and I got to be honest, I, I struggle with that. So when people do have just horrible thing after horrible thing after horrible thing, or hey, they beat cancer, right? And then they get hit by a car and they're you know, paralyzed now. Or they survived six tours to Afghanistan. They come home and they get shot and killed. Thinking of Chris Kyle. Yeah. Like, are they equally as blessed in all those circumstances? Is this just ran the randomness of sin? Don't, Is this worry, just the don't worry about why the tower fell on them. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's what he says. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's, uh, I think it's one of these things where you've, you've got to internalize it. And, um, one, one thing I thought was interesting is the authority piece. If you think about it, it mentions the scribes, you know, yeah. he was speaking as if some, you know, in a way that they had never heard before. And as we went through this study of Matthew in total, that became really clear to me how this must have been so different for them. We're, we've read this quite a bit, but he's, he's teaching from a position of absolute authority. Um, and yeah, the scribes knew the word, like they wrote it every day. Right. So they could quote right. it and yeah. they, they knew it. But this is new but, content. Yeah. Well, Jesus is not, he not only knows the law and the word, like he calls us to model it. And then we're about to see him model it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's like, do these things and then watch. I'm going to put my money where my mouth is and I'm going to do it. And we end Matthew 7 with a declaration of the authority of Jesus. Again, guys, it's kind of easy to get lost, especially if you only piecemeal your your study of the Bible. You kind of come in and out of different parts of the gospel. The disciples haven't even, even been called yet at this point. Right. Like whenever he's delivering the Sermon on the Mount, like that's in terms of the trajectory of the book of Matthew, the timeline, we haven't even got to some of these big, important things. And we already have people basically like, wait a minute, who is this dude? And why is he speaking with such authority? And this is after miracles, before miracles were right in the middle of all that. And I just got to be honest with you. This is one of my favorite individual chapters uh, that we've covered here on this show. Like, you know, I, I loved, uh, you know, Nehemiah. Four. I loved when we got into that discussion, but this specific chapter, I thought, uh, how in the world are we going to do this? But I got to say, I'm pleased. I'm fairly pleased, like evaluating this right after we've done it. Oh, and sure. guys, there's certainly more that can be said about Matthew seven, but we're going to have to leave it there, but come back here next Sunday where we're going to dig into Matthew eight. Make sure that you guys read through Matthew eight so that you're prepared for next week. But before we let you go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost. Add and daunted life. Our mission is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience in the show notes. We've got links to everything that I talked about on Crossway, where you can set up your account, all the different books. You can check that out. Again, use that promo code listed there and you will get 50% off of that amazing stack of books right there. But also we are a donation-based ministry. 
So if you're wondering how we keep the lights on around here, we get a little bit of money from advertising. Again, we're not advertising for Crossway. We just think this is a great resource for you guys, but it is donors. It is guys that are giving their hard-earned dollars to us so that we can equip men around the globe to be able to push back darkness. It is not lost on us. If you can give 10 bucks a month or 20 bucks a month or a hundred bucks a month or whatever you can do, it goes directly to creating things like the forging table to serve guys just like you. We would absolutely love for you to hop on board. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. Wherever you're listening to this, please subscribe, rate, and leave us a positive five-star review. If you want me to come speak live at your event or on your podcast, just shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life. That's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. Follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook and check out our website for everything else, including how to donate to keep more content like this coming your way. Just go to www.undaunted.life. And also we want to thank the band Holy Name for allowing us to use their music for our content. The music on this podcast is their song Perpetua, which is off their self-titled debut album on Face Down Records. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep pushing back darkness, keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical resilience, keep seeking the Lion of Judah.